0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today.
2: I think all of us should be involved in church as much as possible, contributing uh, to the growth of the church and the maturing of other believers with the gifts and talents that God has given to you. And I think the fact that God placed you in a particular church means that God believes that that church needs you and you need the other believers in your life as well.
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my
1: co-host, Mike Kelsey. Mike, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. Uh, We're excited uh, to talk to Dr. Miguel Nunez, who's a pastor medical doctor, author, and speaker, uh, and not just a medical doctor. I'll just say this off the top. He also specializes in infectious diseases, which apart from the gospel, I can't think of anything more relevant uh, to this time that we're going through. He's also authored several books, including his latest, Servants for His Glory. Uh, Dr. Nunez, it's so great to have you on the podcast.
2: Well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, It's a joy to be part of your podcast and able to answer some of your questions and perhaps help some of the uh the people listening out there
0: well thank you for taking the time to join us and you know before we hit record we were just talking and and as mike said you're you are an internal medicine doctor but on top of that you're an infectious disease doctor so your last year has been crazy is the word (laughs) that you used That's so you know just real quick you know we don't want to spend too much time on this but what has the last year looked like for you i mean you're pastoring you're caring for people in that capacity while also caring for them in in your doctor in your doctor role can you just kind of describe what that's looked like
2: sure uh well i I have been extremely busy in many different ways Uh, treating patients for one um but in addition to that uh, there has been plenty of institutions private and uh, as well as uh, government institutions and uh, ministry institutions that have asked me to participate to give some guidelines uh, in terms of uh, what to do in the middle of the crisis and to provide some uh, recommendations uh, for workers returning uh, after being ill uh, prevention The particular hospital wanted me to participate in creating a uh, treatment uh, guidelines for them as well, Uh, mission organizations from abroad, uh, requesting uh, some directions as well. So uh, plenty of Zooms, uh, videos, (laughs) I have recorded, filmed some videos as well, trying to uh, educated people in terms of what the disease is, what it's not, the panic that we should not have, uh, videos about, about the vaccines, when they were coming out, and uh, what they were, how they worked. And, uh, no, 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 no. So uh, I have been busy, I would say, seven days a week for over a year, and uh, with not much sleep, uh, many days. Uh, At the same time, I have to say that I think God has been extremely faithful. He has sustained me and I must say, um, and I say this humbly, but I don't think I have sensed the presence of God in my life so close, uh, in my entire life, uh, when -hmm. I compare it to the last year, a year and a half, so I think he he wanted me to be in the middle of it, and he wanted me to be sustained. And, uh, and I think I realized very early on that I needed to depend on him more than at any other time. I share with my elders yesterday, elders and pastors, that I, in the last year, my dependence upon God and my faith on him, uh, that has increased tremendously in my communion with him. Not just when I pray, but as I work. Uh, It has been incredible, and it has been almost like a gift. I couldn't say that I was diligently working for it, looking for it. I wanted it, but I think it was his grace that just uh, became available in such a a real way, and I could not give credit to anything else than his grace being very, very real and working in some different ways. So also opening doors to minister uh, to people that I would not be in touch with any other way, other than through a crisis like this. Um, I don't know if I should say this, but the current president who took office uh, last August, I think it was, uh, just about a month before he won the election, he became ill and I became his personal doctor and then mm. the relationship developed there and that opened another door. So uh,
1: wait, wait, So you're you're saying you became the personal doctor for the president?
2: At that particular time and then subsequently we have had different conversations about health issues and about other other mm. issues as well, because there's a debate right now about abortion and we had the opportunity to talk openly for a long time about uh, what abortion is and why it should not be legal, legalized in our country. Mm. Wow. wow,
0: well, thank you for all that you've done. I know that you said you've been putting seven day weeks in and I'm sure countless hours. And uh, just also just love how you said as as you've been going so so long hours that God has really just been with you in it. You felt the presence, his presence so real. Uh, That is, that is just encouraging to hear. And thank you for all that you're doing in this. And I mean, it's easy to sit here and go, wow, Dr. Nunez, you've done so much. And I'm also just so, so many questions on how your story has been woven together, how you are Uh, you know, a pastor alongside everything else that you just shared about you've been doing. So let's just go ahead and hop in here. Can you can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years and and how the Lord called you from being a doctor to also adding on to that, being a pastor and getting your your, uh, education in theology?
2: Sure. Well, I would like to say to begin with that without a doubt, God has gone ahead of me. And I think I've done what you read in Ephesians 2:10. That I've done works that were prepared ahead of time, so that I, we may walk in them. So um, I think that's what I've done. But uh, basically, um, I was uh, I became a teacher for the university that I graduated from in Dominican Republic uh, as soon as I graduated. I was I was only 22 years old. And I was teaching medicine, basic sciences. So that would be my first important uh, leadership role, I would say. And then I uh, worked here for a couple of years. Went to the U.S. to do my training in target medicine. On my third year of a training, uh, you had people people that you had to supervise. First year residents, first year residents, second year residents, medical students. So that was another important role. Then I became what is called a fellow in infectious diseases. That's two years of training. Then Mm. in that capacity, then I was supervising and looking over uh, first year, second year, third year resident in internal medicine, as well as uh, medical students. Then I graduated from that program and um, developed a private practice. But soon after that, about a year later, I was asked to become an assistant clinical professor for the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. So that was another leadership role that I started to play. I did that from 1989 to 1997, when I moved to Santo Domingo. Uh, Then I led a couple of different infectious disease committees uh, where I was working in uh, two different hospitals I also, um, I was the head of the morbidity and mortality, uh, committee in the hospital that I, I used to work. Um, then I became the doctor for a missionary organization in New Jersey, where I was established. Uh, then I became an elder at some point, 1989, uh, around there, I became an elder at the uh, River Valley Evangelical Free Church. 1996, uh, I became the uh, chairman of the elder board, of the same church for about a year. Then I moved to Santo Domingo and then I became a pastor uh, officially. Mm. Uh, but my call to ministry began in 1992. My wife was ready for it. Uh, so we stayed in the US. I, I stayed practicing medicine and teaching medicine. Two years later, I had prayed that when she said, no, I was fine with it. And then I prayed that the Lord would, uh, if he would call me, that he would do it through my wife. So it would be, it would be clear to me that he was calling me. And two years later, she spoke to me about uh, going into ministry. And I said, well, the the only problem is that at the time I spoke to you two years ago, um, I wanted to stay in the U.S., but now I want to go to Santo Domingo. And to my surprise, she said, well, that's what I want to do. I said, oh, I am surprised. So he said, we made a decision that day we that we would come down here, plant a church. And uh so we did two years later. We took about two more years to uh, sell the practice, sell the house, hmm. get everything ready. And then uh, that was kind of a transition from a from a doctor to a pastor. But soon after wow. being here, I was I was pulled into the uh the medical field, I didn't think I was going to practice medicine, but the need uh, was such that I was calling to medicine again, which I did a lot more than I was doing before the pandemic, and now the pandemic has pulled me in again, and uh, someone someone just, uh, let let me close this part of the question by saying, someone was quoting me, uh, quoting to me a phrase from the movie the godfather number three which i i never saw but uh, at one point apparently the godfather said something like when i thought i was out they pulled me back in so, <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of laughed and said well but then, that's me when i thought i was out they pulled me back in so here i am yeah. uh, doing medicine again in more significant ways
0: wow well during that process i mean you were practicing medicine, and then you went into the ministry. What were some of the things that you learned in the leadership of medical practice that you brought into pastoring?
2: Well, I think a couple of different things. I think I prepare sermons in a similar way that I study medicine, very systematically, very structured. you know, in medicine, you, you take a history uh, from the patient, you ask about symptoms, you you examine the patient, you look for signs, you put that together, you, you formulate an impression in your mind, most likely diagnosis, and then you write prescription, a, a recommendation, what, what should be done. So when I'm reading, and when I'm reading for a sermon or just reading in general, my mind is always working in the same way. So, for a sermon for example i'm always looking at the text and then i'm looking at like signs and symptoms let's say or what's the problem here what is the problem being addressed and, and then i kind of formulate in my mind what would be the, the recommendation given after learning what the problem is and then tend to preach in a way that would give some practical recommendations so that people could make use of the theological knowledge that they would gain from the text that we are reviewing. So I think the structure, the practicality, uh, when it comes to preaching, uh, the systematic review of the different points in the text, I think that's something that I learned in medicine, and then I was able to bring into uh, uh, the profession in some ways, uh, listening to in counseling. Also, I think it was very important. I learned to listen carefully to, uh, in medicine, we say that the most important part is the history because a that history is going to take you in a different path of what the patient problem really is. So, so I listen very carefully when I'm in, in counseling. And I think that has helped me a great deal. And then I, I I had to deal with ACE patients in the U.S. quite a bit, and I heard some of the heart-wrenching stories from them, especially from drug addicts who had become. I I met a patient who was an addict at the age of six, and I asked, at wow. six, how did how did that happen? He said, my parents were drug addicts, and they used to inject me at that age. I, I just wow. couldn't believe it. I, I cried that day because I realized for the first time that this kid was made a drug addict before he even knew what a drug was. And, mm. uh, but God used that experience and, you know, you didn't hear his voice, I'm not expecting that, but it was, it was almost like he said to me inside uh, so that you learn that many times you're talking about things that you don't know. Because here you're talking about drug addicts in a way Without realizing that a six year old was already an addict and did not have any chance to be otherwise. So, I mean, I think about that story and I still get teary eyes from it. Uh, so, it was good for me to be in contact with that population because I could relate to people in a more compassionate way from what I learned from them. And then I saw many of them, put, uh, they put their trust in Christ. Uh, and I was able to preach at some of the funerals as well. So those were good experiences for uh, before I was a pastor. So I think God used all of that to prepare my heart, my mind, and uh, to know that life is full of difficult situations and almost everyone is fighting a hard battle uh, if you know more about them. Mm.
1: Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Nunez. I mean, that story about that six-year-old... Um, man, there's so many people that we see and we label them and we make assumptions about them without knowing, like you said, their history, their story, the context. And uh, so I really appreciate you sharing that, although it's heartbreaking uh, to hear, um, but it seems evident the Lord was kind of using those experiences to give you wisdom and compassion. Um, I do, uh, before we move forward, wanna go back to something you said. You said, as you were wrestling with a call to ministry, uh, your wife she she really wasn't on board at, at first and right. you actually said, okay then I'm gonna I'm gonna pump the brakes. I'm, I'm gonna pause for a second before I move forward. Any advice that you would give we have some uh, you know folks that are listening that are married that are young, maybe they're in their first couple years of marriage. Uh, any wise counsel that you would give for when you get to those moments? uh where you're trying to discern next steps or calling or you have an opportunity yeah. but the spouses don't agree sure. any advice to give for for how to kind of move forward in that
2: sure well I, I firmly believe that your wife has to be the first person that should confirm your call uh ministry, and i, I think mm-hmm. if she's not on board i think god is probably saying one of several things number one uh, i'm not calling you and i think that was possible and i said that to the lord in prayer maybe you're not calling me maybe it's just my desire and i think we need to consider that second possibility yeah i have a call for you but it's not the time yet so and that that was what happened to me number three which also happened uh yeah, I have a call for you. uh, This is not the time, but this is not the place either. Because I was thinking Mm. U.S. at that time and the Lord had a different place for me in the American Republic two years later. Mm. And um, unfortunately, maybe the Lord is saying, uh, I do have a call for you. It's not the time primarily because your wife is not quite ready yet. And I need your wife as well ready to go. So, the second piece of advice that I would give is that being the head of the house does not mean that your wife has to blindly follow what you are thinking or oh, whatever your decision may be. No, the Lord gave her to you so that she would help you um, to make decisions as well and to bring a different perspective and, and uh as a woman as your wife or the person who knows you best and uh consequently um i think we being the head of the house means you lead and you may lead the process and that process may take you into the decision that you were thinking and then you bring your wife into it as you lead her or maybe as you try to lead her through the process, maybe we'll bring you someplace else. Maybe it will bring you to another place altogether. But you're leading yourself and her through to find God's will for the two of you. I think that's what it means to be the head, not necessarily this is what I wanna do and you follow me. Yeah. And and be obedient.
1: Yeah. That's so so good, so helpful. And uh, I'm sure if my wife is listening right now, she's like, thank you, uh, (laughs) Dr. That's great. Uh, Well, all right. So, so kind of back to your, your journey, Um, uh, you in the, in the medical profession kind of went through all the steps, school, training, had different opportunities in your career. uh, And then you kind of pivoted into, into ministry. But uh, could you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on? that changed your leadership uh, and and your life? Just it might have been a mentor or just an experience, but just something that you feel like kind of set the trajectory for your life. Sure. Well, um,
2: 1983, I was in the US. I was in my first year training, came to Santo Domingo on vacation. And during that time I had a brother who was a pilot. And he crashed and died in North Adams, Massachusetts. He was a pilot of a uh, Lear jet. And that shook us up uh, emotionally, all of us. And he was only 42. I decided wow. at that point to get close to the Lord and then to pursue the study of the Bible. The reason why I mentioned 1983, I think was the year that the Lord used to kind of change my life and direction. So I and he gave me, that year, he gave me a passion to read his word, that hasn't changed. So as I, as I began to study the word, eventually got into a church and, and got myself involved in ministry, the passion to teach that word just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And grew. So that's when years later, I, I was thinking about going into ministry and then eventually coming to Santo Domingo. So, back, if I go back, 1992, 94, 1994, just around there, is when my wife and I made a decision together to come to Santo Domingo. I said earlier that it took two years to get ready. It took three years, actually, from 94 to 97. So, that was one particular moment when my leadership began to change because I needed to think now, I say, as a minister, as a pastor, rather than as a physician. And Mm -hmm. then definitely when I planted the church and began the church in 1998, January 1998, uh, I started to think fully as a pastor because now I had people uh, in my congregation that needed to be uh, led and pastor. And so that was a complete change for me. In many ways, although I was already a elder in the US, and in some ways I had preached and taught the word and canceled, but this was different. I was the uh, church planter, I had no one else with me, so I really needed, and I was 39, so I really needed to think carefully through a process by myself right, in some ways. Until I have leaders around around me. And now we got, mm-hmm. I think we have nine pastors right now in the church, but uh, that's how I began. So that was the moment when my leadership changed. And um, yeah, I think uh, I, I realized that I needed to develop a, a pastoral heart in a very special mm-hmm. way, even though God had already started to form such a heart.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Doctor Nunez, sorry for for that loss. <clears throat> I know that that was that was difficult, but it it is interesting how in those moments of loss and crisis that the Lord really shapes us, and it's evident in, in your story as well. I want to. I know we have a lot of other questions to get to. And we'll see if we get to them if we have time. But I want to yeah. focus on something. You you were practicing medicine, and you were an elder at your church. You know, you said even as without being a pastor, the Lord put this burden of, of loving the word on your heart Mm -hmm. and you were, you were an elder Then you became, I think you said you were the, the head of the elders. What, what would you say advice? Because I think some people feel like there is the distinction of that's pastoral ministry. They're doing the work of the ministry. I'm doing something else and that's my job. But it seems like for you, as you were, you know, a medical doctor, you were still serving in the church and the Lord was giving you this passion for the word so, what advice would you give for somebody who is not in pastoral ministry how How would you advise them to think of the church and of their involvement in the church?
2: Sure. Well, I would say two things. Number one, don't think of your secular work as secular. It is sacred because you're supposed to do it unto, to honor God and to the glory of God. So your secular work is a sacred work that you're doing uh, in a similar way that a pastor is doing his work. Number one, number two, then to answer the question directly now, uh, I think all of us should be involved in church as much as possible, contributing uh, to the growth of the church and the maturing of other believers with the gift and talents that God has given to you. And I think the fact that God placed you in a particular church means that God believes that that church needs you and you need the other believers in your life as well. So I think we should all be involved in church in one capacity or another, serving at one point or another, depending upon the time that you may have. Uh, you may have more, more time when your kids are have grown up. You may have less time at the beginning. Uh, you may have Gift and talents to teach and, and maybe even uh, leadership capacity and be involved in the leadership of the church maybe uh, uh you don't have as much uh ability to lead and to teach but how but has you do have other abilities to teach kids or be involved in nursery or be a deacon or be involved in administration or be involved in some kind of mission trip to the church. There are so many opportunities and I think you should be looking for it, uh, for the opportunity to serve. And I think that's when you, and how you find your gift and talents is by serving Mm. in a church. Otherwise, I don't think you're gonna be able to to identify them. So um, yes, be involved, be there. Look for opportunity. Don't be passive. Pray about it. I think that's that's what I did and that's what I would advise.
0: That's great. Well, hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. All
1: right, Dr. Nunez, what was uh, your, you, it's, it's very clear from, from your, your professional life, you've been pretty successful ministry-wise, the Lord has just been really gracious, but I know you have some mistakes in your past. Uh, so what's one of your biggest uh, mistakes as a leader uh, when you were kind of getting started?
2: Um, I think I was very proud uh, as a medical, uh, as a doctor in training when I first got to the U.S. And I think that created some difficult situations for me. Thank God it was very early and the Lord humbled me. And and there was a particular teacher that uh, I think I challenged him in, in such a way that he recommended that I would be thrown out of the program. And I was very sad about it. But it was good. It was good for my soul. Uh, as the psalmist uh, says, it was good for me to be afflicted. Um, I, I needed to be to grow in, in humility significantly more, but that was the beginning of it. And I, uh, if I had to live my life again, I, I think it, I would choose that moment to go through one more time because of what I had learned. So I think that was one, uh, one mistake I made. I and mean, the second one that I i made was to assume that if you practice medicine well and if you live your life with integrity like everything will follow will fall into place and you know with patients with patients and other people will be appreciative and and everything will go well and i Mm. i guess i didn't I wasn't thinking through the Bible well enough because I, when you think about Christ, he did that perfectly and he ended up on the cross. So, uh, mm-hmm. make the long story short, I, I did that with a particular patient who couldn't pay my fees and I treated him well and I beat a charger and on and on and on. And that was the one patient that ended up suing me and <laughs> bringing me to court. Wow. For something that really was like not even malpractice in the be the smaller uh, sense of the word, but there I was. And then when I was in court, the Lord kind of showed me, you know, just from now on, you we know better what it is to be tried innocently and uh, what it means to rely about your practice or whatever uh, by somebody else. And uh, <clears throat> you could relate better to what my son went through. So I think that was a good experience too, but I think it was a mistake for me to assume that if you did everything right, everything right, which you never do, but uh, uh, that everything would go well and uh, no one will be against you. You wouldn't find any opposition. And then I saw that in ministry as well, but I think I was kind of ready or prepared by that experience to know that Mm. it would happen in ministry more than once. So, um, but that was a mistake I think I made. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Well, Dr. Nunez, I know that you've read many books, um, but if you could choose just one book to give someone who is just starting to lead, what book would that be?
2: I read uh, years ago uh, a book by Henry Blackaby called uh, Spiritual Leadership. I think that was a book that changed my mind in terms of I I think I, I had a better understanding what a spiritual leader was after I read that book. And uh, I still recommend it. I think he has good definitions of what a vision is, what a spiritual leader is, what is not. Uh, the differences between a spiritual leader and a non-spiritual leader, uh, what uh, gifts and talents are. Uh, I really learned a lot from, uh, from that book and I still recommend it, that book. Uh, but I wish I would have read it earlier than what I did. And so any person uh, beginning the ministry, I think I would recommend that that book uh, by uh, Henry Blackaby. There's a Spanish version of it, but it's a bridge. And I think it's, it's not as as good as the English version, which is the language in which it was published in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm. On that note, Dr. Nunez, I, one of the things I think about often is that there are so many faithful sisters and brothers in Christ all over the world. And because, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm here in the Washington DC area, Chandler's there in Nashville, both of us speak English. We're just here in this culture. I feel like I miss out on so many great leaders, preachers, missionaries to learn from. Are there any people uh, at uh, for for just us as young leaders that you would say, just from uh, Latin America, that maybe are, their works are translated into English where you would say, man, if, if, I, if I would recommend anybody, it'd be learn about this missionary or, or follow this guy who's, who's preaching, somebody we may not normally hear about that we could learn from.
2: Well, there's a friend um, in Santo Domingo who is a very good preacher, a very good writer. His name is Suhel Michelin. Uh, his family is from Lebanon, although he was born here, and uh, he uh, he wrote a book in Spanish about preaching, and it was translated uh, into English, uh, as a matter of fact. I think it was called uh, in English, it, it was translated just like, like the title in Spanish, but I think in English is something, it's a phrase from Paul, from the Apostle Paul. Um, before god and it's a phrase that appears in one of the uh, letters to corinthians in Spanish, she's the lamp de dios y, y. Uh, i'm trying to remember in english before god and it's like you are before god and kind of under god at the same time so the mm-hmm. idea is that that you're mm-hmm. preaching before the lord but you're preaching under him as well Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a good book i think it was published by lifeway by the way but yeah uh,
0: oh there we go uh, yeah
2: and what's his what's his name again suhel s-u-g-e-l that's his first name and michelle uh, m-i-c-h-e-l-e-n suhel lane got it
0: We'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes. We'll find we'll find the title and put it in there so you guys can check it out. That'll be something that you definitely want to want to look up. Well, Doctor Nunez, we're going to transition now to the quick hitter questions, and these are just short one minute answers. And we're going to get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So I'm I'm, I'm sure this one has changed in the past year. Um, <laughs> so what time do you wake up? Get into the office? All of that good stuff.
2: I usually wake up about six, uh, although sometimes it may be earlier than that, but 6 a.m. I pray, do some things before I go, usually read something, a book or something like that. Uh, If I have patients in the hospital, then I go in, see those patients between seven and eight thirty or so, eight forty five. I tend to be at the office, at the ministry office by nine a.m. And then depending upon the day, I may have meetings, I may have Zooms. I may have, um, have canceling. Uh, Tuesdays and Fridays in the morning, we have uh, devotional. So that's about an hour between prayer and reflection. I normally lead the Tuesday devotional every week. Um, working, uh, you know, sermon preparation and and messages or conferences are hard to prepare in the office so I may do that late at night quite frequently but if I could I try to find some time during the day uh, to be quiet and be able to read or write uh, if I can which is again very difficult to do Um, I may have well every other Tuesday we meet as pastors uh, so we have a the board meeting, uh, which is usually in the afternoon on Tuesday from 1 p.m. to 6. Uh, mm-hmm. So my days vary quite a bit, depending upon the day. Mondays, I, if I'm preaching on Sundays, on Sunday, then Monday I, I stay home. But then that day, even though it's supposed to be a quiet day, I'm working at home. Usually those are days that are very productive in terms of reading and writing sermons, messages, books, uh, articles, uh, that kind of thing. So I tend to be, my wife is a doctor as well. So in many ways, that gives me <laughs> plenty of free time to <laughs> do what I'm, what I'm doing. So, uh, so Monday is quiet in the sense I tend to be home, but I do have an office, I study at home. And that's where I spend most of my Mondays. Uh, at home working uh, editing books and that kind of thing so Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's hard for me to describe the typical day and I feel better today saying that because uh, at one point I was invited by John MacArthur to speak at their shepherd's conference and there were a number of leaders there and preachers that Mm -hmm. are you know, better known than I am, that it was Dr. Mueller was there uh, and Steve and uh, Lincoln Duncan, and uh, Mark Dever. And they kind of asked them uh, a similar question. They asked them, what was a typical day for them? And I think almost all of them said, well, what is typical? So What, what is that word? <laughs> what it comes to, <laughs> to my days? And Dr. Mueller said at that point, I have to do most of my work uh, like after midnight because uh, during the day I just don't get to because I have so many interruptions. And that's kind of, uh, that is like my day. I used to be, Mm -hmm. I used to feel guilty that I didn't have a more structured day until that day. I realized no one has a structured day (laughs) uh, with your business. So so I don't know if I answered your question, but I tried to.
1: No, that's great. Absolutely. It makes me feel better, too. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what is your uh, favorite personality test? Have you gotten into any particular test? Sure.
2: Um, it, it's the Myers-Briggs or Briggs-Myers. depends upon. I have seen it uh, both ways. I think it's Myers-Briggs. Mm. Uh, Sixteen different types. And uh, I am an INTJ. Mm. That's a, I don't know if you're familiar with that particular test, but uh, yep. that's what I am. So... I did that test years ago and I've used it mm-hmm. uh, many times with our staff and other people, even in counseling sometimes. Like mm-hmm. Let's figure yeah. it out with your wife why you are having so many uh, difficulties understanding each other. I think it has been helpful uh, mm-hmm. through the years. Mm-hmm.
0: What is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership?
2: Reading. I think I read all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Should be usual, but I realize that it's not that good. So at least, <laughs> at least to the degree that I do it. It's, yeah. If I'm tired, I'm reading. If I would like to relax, I'm reading. If I, if I go to the beach and reading. If I go mm. to the barber and reading. I, I'm reading all the time. I, mm. and I did that. I think I've done that since the age of eight or nine. My father wow. was a, an educator and. Uh, not in medicine, but he was an educator and uh, I used to get up about 5 5:30 five, in the morning to read with my dad and uh, and I was that was good for me because I think when I die, when my dad died, I was only about 11 and a half years old hmm. and I think a lot of those habits were already formed and I've been reading since. so and hmm. I like to read mainly things related to medicine and and ministry. But I read beyond that as well, just because I'd like to learn. So sometimes I find something on astronomy and I begin to read it. I just like to see how Mm. our creator, uh, uh, how how awesome he is by understanding a little bit of the details about the universe, for example, just to give an idea. Uh, So I read a little bit about politics uh, just to see what's going on. I realized that if I'm gonna be a pastor, and leading a a, a significant church, then I need to know what's going on. I know, no, 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 but I'm always reading. So that was your question, so I Mm. have it.
1: Is there anything you're reading right now that you say is just really interesting, captivating Mm. to you?
2: Well, I just finished reading a book by uh, Paul Tripp, which I think is fantastic, is Lead. Mm. I would recommend that book to Mm. anyone. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the theme and why I'm saying what I'm saying, uh, Paul Tree was, uh, he's reflecting upon many of the failures that we have seen in leadership in the last 10 years. And he's wondering not only what's going on, but he's wondering, what are we going to do about it? Uh, is there something that the community in which that leader is ministering, working, that that community should be doing to prevent some of those failures? Or, or are the Christian communities built in such a way that perhaps they are contributing to the failures of those leaders? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Paul Tripp is, is usually very insightful. But in that particular book, I think he is particularly insightful. I am I, I, using the word uh, particular uh, purposefully twice, uh, I think it's extremely insightful. And I was, I, I share it chapter by chapter. I share it with our staff every Tuesday until the book was, I just finished it, until mm-hmm. we finished with the book. I was ministered to, I was fed, my staff was fed. And, and, and I'll just give you one line that she says in that book, out of many others that are just as good. It says, as long as there is sin remaining in you, you are a risk to yourself. Mm. Uh, that's something to chew on and secondly as long as there are sins in you you're in need to be rescued from yourself mm. and, uh, that makes us more dependent upon God but also makes us more dependent upon leaders around you to protect you to care for you uh, as a community so I would recommend that book very highly mm. What is your favorite
0: app on your phone?
2: Uh, In one sense, WhatsApp, just because I'm in touch with patients, I'm in touch with members, I'm in touch with my leaders. Uh, So that would be one. And Twitter, because I tweet uh, several times a day, so thoughts, ideas. uh, I, I don't get into political issues of any nature on Twitter, I don't think it's, worthwhile doing or spending time doing that. But I like to teach through Twitter. So usually I tweet an idea, a phrase, mm. an insight that I gain from an observation, from reading a book. So I would say uh, WhatsApps
1: and then Twitter. Mm. Where can people follow you on Twitter?
2: It's uh, <clears throat> Pastor M. Nunes. Mm. Uh, that's my uh, my id and twitter
1: sounds good all right last one here what uh what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time
2: you know someone asked me that i remember very vividly in chile i was in chile i finished uh talking came down and someone interrupted me and said uh Nunez. i know there are many things that you could tell me but if you can give me one single advice, uh, one line, what would you say? And honestly, I, I was kind of overwhelmed by the question because I I just finished speaking for an hour, and then one mm. single advice was like, like, "Would you not listen to the whole message I just <laughs> gave?" <again? laughs> so, but I think the Lord just gave me gave me a phrase uh, that came from the Lord Jesus. So, uh, and this is it: learn from me. who who is uh, humble, uh, lowly, and uh, gentle, and lowly, lowly and gentle. I forget the order Mm -hmm. in English, but Mm -hmm. in Spanish it's Mm -hmm. manso y humilde. And there is a book now, as you may know, by Erland, Mm -hmm. called Just Like That, uh, Gentle and Lowly. Mm -hmm. I think, and then the the phrase says at the very end, there's a comma there, learn from me who's gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your soul. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that a lot of the unrest uh, within us is a consequence of not being gentle and lowly, and I think mm-hmm. humility is that one quality that Christ exhibited, that Philippians two shows so well, calls us to imitate. Um, Philippians two tells us to to have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, and then goes on to talk about his humility. And there is, if I have to name one character. Trait that I would say is the one that has helped me the most in life. I would say is try to be humble. Mm. Uh, a humble person depends upon the Lord, knows that he doesn't get the credit, uh, God gets the glory. A humble person uh, can be taught all the time, can be taught by people that are over him or under him. A humble person can be a team worker, a team member. A humble person, I think, will be sensitive to the voice of God, to the voice of others. A humble person will be compassionate, will try to empathize with people. A humble person can confront people and people can take his confrontations. Um, I I think that is why Christ said what he said. I didn't know that earlier. I wish I did. But I think that's the one quality I'm
1: still trying to cultivate. Mm. All of us are. Yeah.
0: Well, that one sentence packs a punch and it is profound. So thank you for sharing that. And Dr. Dr. Nunez, thank you for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other young leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next week.
2: Thank you.